Can we say it and how great is our God? How, how great that it is that we get to stand in your presence and to learn the one who eternal. To be drawn closer to you. How great it is that we have this place to commune with you, Lord God. And how great it is that we have your mercy and grace to lean on every single day, Lord. Without it, we are just in desperate and desperate condition, Lord God. We know how we need your love, how we need your grace, God, how we need your forgiveness daily, Lord, almost hourly minute, every minute, Lord God, every second of our lives, we need you, Father. And so tonight, Lord, as we stand in awe of you, as Pastor Greg comes to bring your word, may we draw, be drawn deeper into your presence tonight, Lord, deeper into an understanding of who you really are, what you really want for our lives, God, the purpose that you want to put upon us, God. I pray that you would give us eyes to follow that purpose, God, in that direction. We just love you, and we're so thankful and grateful for you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 A quick reminder, the prayer room, every other Wednesday, it's open. Tonight is that night. If you need prayer for anything, don't hesitate. Please go get prayed for, even during the Bible study. If you need prayer, they left a note, as usual. The prayer team is here to come alongside you. No prayer is too small. The only unanswered prayer is the one that's not prayed. So be prayed for if you need that. Happy Valentine's Day to you again. Before we jump in, I want to remind you, the greatest love, there's someone who loves you. No matter where your relationships, your human relationships are at. But the Bible reveals the greatest love that the human mind could, couldn't even imagine. No playwright, no script writer, no imagination could imagine a greater love than the love that's revealed 
in Christ. Think about it. The gospel tells us that God, there's nobody greater than him or behind him. He gave, he didn't give a hundred bucks. He didn't give a thousand bucks. He didn't give the sun, the moon, and the stars, the Milky Way galaxy, or any of the other billions of galaxies and trillions of stars. He didn't, if he would have given a hundred bucks, we could have said, hey, I could, Imagine a love greater than that. What if he would have given 200 bucks? He gave his son. Okay, I have a son. I have an only son. And I literally would not trade the entire world for him. Someone came up to me and said, hey, I give you the pink slip to every single vehicle, every Lamborghini, every Bugatti, Every boat, every yacht, every airplane, every jet, every piece of real estate, the answer is no. That's how much my son, God gave his son. This is the gospel. Not for pretty good people, for good church going folk. Because then someone would say, well, what if God gave his son for wretched, miserable sinners. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) There's three factors in the equation. God, what he gave and who he gave it for. And you can't move those factors any farther out on the scale than they've been moved. The, the, The human mind cannot conceive of a greater love than the love that God has for you. All of our human relationships are less than that. We all struggle. It's hard living with another sinner. (laughs) The secret to our human relationships prospering is if you soak yourself and bask in the love that God has for you. Happy Valentine's Day. We are, you are more loved than you can imagine. That's the gospel. You are more loved than you can imagine. Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah. God gave his son for us. For us. Sinners. I don't know about you. I'm, I, know, I know that I am. I'm painfully aware. What a love. Hosea chapter 7. Hosea 7, if you're new here, we're studying through what we call the Old Testament. Jesus called it the law and the prophets. The Jews call it the Torah, you know, and the prophets. But it says, when I would have healed Israel, verse 7. We'll jump right in. And And then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered in the wickedness of Samaria. This is three ways of addressing the exact same group of people. The 10 northern tribes, the kingdom is split since Solomon's son came into power. And the northern tribes are called Israel, the southern kingdom that consists of Judah and Benjamin, they're called Judah. Ephraim is the largest tribe in the northern kingdom, and the capital is Samaria. So they're, 
these three titles are referring to the same group of people, the 10 northern tribes of Israel. God's saying, I would have healed. I would have healed you. But, they, you, but, but you committed fraud. A thief comes in and a band of robbers takes spoil outside. They don't consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. I see it all, God is saying. You know, what we do that's hidden to men, it's in the clear sight of God. He sees it all. And God gave his son for us. Wow. No greater love. God even sees the thoughts and intents of our hearts. This is why if God is out to get me, I'm in deep trouble. I can fool you. I can even fool myself. A lot of people are self-deceived. But God says, I see it all. It's all right in front of my face. But the good news is God is not out to get me to smash me. He's out to get me to save me and to bring me near to himself. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And here he calls them Israel, Ephraim, and Samaria. Israel and Ephraim, the the largest tribe in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. They may have an appearance because we're really good at appearances. This is the problem of the Pharisees in the New Testament. They were all into appearances. But God sees what he's saying here in these opening verses. I see exactly what you are. And notice he mentions first fraud. You're fraud, you're fraud, you're fraudsters. <laughs> you know, you're robbers. And then he says, and they make a king glad. And all the kings of the northern kingdom, since the the kingdom of Israel split, all of them in the north were wicked. They all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Every single one of them. And he says, what you guys are doing, you're making your evil king glad with your wickedness and and, and the princes with your lies. You know, thank God for the new covenant. It's so interesting to me, the new covenant. That sounds very Christian, doesn't it? Belongs, the new covenant belongs to Christians, to the church. Did you know that when God spoke about the new covenant that's coming in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, he said, behold, there comes the days, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. (laughs) Now as Gentiles, we've been grafted in as we've believed upon Israel's Messiah. That's who our faith is in, Israel's Messiah. Isn't that interesting? And now we are part, we've been made a part of the family of God, the people of God, partakers of all the covenants, We're sons and daughters of Abraham, it says in Galatians, by faith. Everything that God promised to Abraham and to these people, it's ours now. We share in the commonwealth of what God has brought into the world through Israel. 
thank God for that new covenant that Jeremiah said was coming. (laughs) Because when we confess all the stuff that God sees that we're really good at hiding from others, but when when we confess it to God, he's faithful and just to do what? To forgive us and to what? Cleanse us from all that stuff that he sees. And then cleansed, he fills us with his spirit, you know, so that we might not manifest in our lives all the ugly stuff that's in our flesh, but we might manifest what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the new covenant wherein Jeremiah says in verse 34 of chapter 31 where God forgives our iniquities. And he says, I remember your sins no more. Yeah, that's for at the end of the Bible study. Please go back to Jeremiah. There we go. Don't you love, we got some new projectors. Don't you love them? Did anyone notice? Anyone notice? Did you sit there and go, wow, why, something's different. Nobody notices. Got some new projectors. Well, the sin that God says, look, I see it all. I I remember in the old covenant, in the new, their sins, their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. You know, when you confess your sin and then you go out and you stumble and you come back to God and you're telling him, God, all this sin. He's like, what, all what sin? God, I blew it again. He's like, again? This is the first time. Because he remembers our sins no more. Wrap, wrap your head around that. When I would have healed Israel, God was wanting to heal. But they were acting. They were acting as if there was no problems. They were acting as if they didn't have sin. We're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. God was saying, I see it all. You're just acting like there isn't anything there to see. And he goes, yes, there is. I'm waiting for you just to acknowledge. I would have healed you. God says, I see it. There's all this adultery, like an oven heated by a baker. He ceases stirring the fire, kneading the dough until it's leavened. This idea here of the oven, he's he's gonna expand upon it here. But he's saying kind of like in a metaphor, You guys are burning, you're burning hot with lust for your idols. This was their issue. He says, in the day of our, of our king, princes have made him sick, inflamed with wine. He stretches out his hand with scoffers. They prepare their heart. Notice again, like an oven. They lie in wait like a baker sleeps all night, and in the morning it burns like a flaming fire. 
they were offering the sacrifice to the Lord, but it was an empty ceremony. It wasn't calling upon God in truth. It's only when we truly call upon the Lord that he moves and he saves us and that there's breakthrough. God says he's gonna tell them here. It's just empty ritual, you know? And for many, it's only when we get so tired, we get so tired of the emptiness of our idols. I'm giving you my own little testimony here. (laughs) That we come finally to the place where, God, I want to call upon you. I want to call upon you, Lord, in truth. Like when God said to Judah in Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah 29.10, thus says the Lord, after your 70 years in captivity, this is what he said to the southern kingdom when they were taken into Babylon. He says, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and I will cause you to return to this place, to Jerusalem. And that happened under Nehemiah and Ezra. 70 years in Babylon getting spanked, God brought them back and they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the walls of the city. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. You disobedient, rebellious children of mine who I've taken into captivity for 70 years because you were so obstinate in your idolatry, I know the thoughts I think about you. Thoughts, notice, of peace. There's no love like this love. There's no love like the love of God. Nothing can can compare to it. You know, some, if you think of, if, you know, our first religious kind of reaction is, oh no, what are your thoughts towards me? I've been rebelling and I've been totally obstinate against you. I know my thoughts, I'm out to get you. I'm out to smash you, right? No, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope and then you will call upon me and you will go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. You know, God will let you go out and make your life as big a mess as you want to make it and bring as much pain upon yourself as you want to. And then after you're done, he'll go get you. Oh, don't say that, pastor. People are going to, what, go out and cause themselves chaos and pain? Help yourself. (laughs) He'll go get you. You know? I'll be found by you. I'll gather you from the nations and the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. I'll bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away. I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem, back to your place. But here the northern tribes are on the verge. They're on the verge of being invaded by the Assyrians. Being carried away captive into cruel slavery by the Assyrians. And none of them are calling upon God. This is the point here. You haven't felt enough pain yet to bring you to the place where you call upon me. He says they're all hot, like an oven. This doesn't mean it was 105 degrees outside and they were all sweating. 
okay? It's not, they're not hot in the sense that they're like all really good looking, you know? They're hot in their lust for their idols. You know, it's, when we moved to Hungary, we had some hilarious and very awkward times as we were learning the language. I don't know if you've ever moved to another culture and tried to learn a new language, you know? But in Hungarian, if, if I say, I am hot, like I say here all the time in July, I'm hot, you know? In Hungarian, that means I'm burning with same-sex lust. <laughs> okay? So I learned, I, I'm learning these words in Hungarian. I'm walking around, because we, when we first got to Hungary, the first summer, it was 105 degrees for a whole month straight, 98% humidity. We're walking around in shorts, sweating. I would drink, they had these big, two liter things of water. I'd drink like six of them a day and not even use the restroom. It was coming through your pores. And I'm walking around telling everyone I'm hot. <laughs> and some of the guys were excited about that. <laughs> and others were laughing at me. And God bless those who were saying, Greg, come here, come here. Don't, that's not how you say it. Don't say meleg vajok. Say melegem Vajok, which means I feel warm, not I am hot. Okay? And it took me a while to get that. And it was very awkward for a while. But here Hosea says they're all hot. They're all hot for their idols, like an oven, and have devoured their judges. All their kings have fallen. None among them calls upon me, God says. When we're hot for idols, we will not be calling upon God. They kind of don't go together. <laughs> Hosea continues to express here the sad state of the northern tribes here. He says Ephraim, again, the largest tribe in the north. Many times that's how God's referring to the whole ten tribes up in the north. He calls them Ephraim. It's a, it's a term of endearment. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. The idea here is a half-baked cake, okay? Now, their bread was more like a lot of cultures have the flatbreads, the pita breads, right? Kind of more like a pancake than our, our bread, like a loaf. And so when he... The idea here, Ephraim is like a cake unturned. It means Ephraim is like a pancake that's been just cooked on one side and now it's burned on one side and it's completely just doughy on the other. And thinking they can serve both God and their idols, it's like this unturned pancake. You know, if you've ever cooked pancakes and you're you, you've, you, you, you know, you got distracted and it's burnt on one side, you just, you toss it in the trash, right? Just, you got some more batter and you make a new one and you watch it this time and try to get that golden brown, you know how it is. He says, aliens have devoured his strength and he doesn't know it. This, all this sin is ravaged 
your life, Ephraim, and you don't even realize it. You know, like when everyone around can see the devastating effects of sin in a person's life and the person can't see it because they won't see it. You know, we have an amazing ability to deceive ourselves, especially in the area of sin. And it's, we, get, we can get to the point where we're numb. That's why sin is likened unto leprosy in scripture because leprosy, the, the bacteria of leprosy that gets in there, it numbs the extremities and then you can't feel that you're, you just jammed your finger, you're, you're leaning on a hot stove and pretty soon it's, your extremities start to be whittled away. Sin is like that. He's like, aliens have devoured his strength and he doesn't even know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him. This was me in my 30s. Here and there, some grays. Now it's just all gray. He goes and he doesn't even know it. Ephraim, you're like this old dude that thinks you're still young. Everyone else knows you're old and they think you're ridiculous by acting like you're young. You ever meet those guys? Yeah, they're all around. (laughs) If you're getting old, just be old. Old is cool. Okay? Ridiculous is when you're old, everyone knows it, but you're trying to act like you're young and you're getting injured because you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing. A couple of years ago, someone found out I used to ride a unicycle when I was a kid and they brought one to the church. And I'm up in there in the office when no one else is there. I'm riding around on this unicycle and I'm, my wife is like going, do not you're gonna fall and I'm gonna have to go visit you at Loma Linda Hospital, you know? And I could feel it, because I'm 50 pounds heavier than I was when I rode a unicycle back when I was 18. I could feel like, man, if I fall, it's gonna be bad, (laughs) you know? I I, I can't be riding a, I'm 62 now, unicycles are over. (laughs) A lot of things I used to do are over. Here he's looking at Ephraim, he's saying there's gray hairs here and there. You're getting older and you don't even realize it. You look ridiculous. And what's the issue? Pride. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Pride makes us to do all sorts of ridiculous things. But they don't return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. God's frustrated. If you would but seek me, if you would just admit the sin that I can see and everyone else can see, I would heal you. But Ephraim is like a silly dove without sense. Hosea now uses this image of a bird that's confused and without direction. Thinking they can escape God by running after other nations, they call upon Egypt, they go to Assyria. And God says, wherever they go, I'll spread my net on them. I will cause, I will bring them down like the birds of the air. I will chastise them. Chastise. Whom the Lord loves, he chastises, the scripture says. If you're without chastisement, it means you don't belong to God. Some of you are thinking, man, I really belong to the Lord. Because <laughs> if there's one thing I know, it's that God chastises me. It's proof of his love. 
God says, I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Isn't that interesting? I will chastise them in proportion to how much they have heard, according to how much light they've been given. It will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for some than it is for others because some had more light than others. We studied this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15. Jesus gets into it. Here God says, I will chastise them according to what the congregation has heard. God is just. He's fair. There will be different levels of judgment that people face. It's, it's in the Bible. I don't know why there's some... Christians that won't admit this, but it's in the Bible. Jesus talked about it. Tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Really? Then for Bethsaida and Chorazin? Jesus said it. There's going to be tolerance. Tolerance. Some Christians hate that word, tolerance. I thank God that there's tolerance. I thank God that he doesn't, it's not just some blanket thing. God is just, and he will do justly. He's saying here, Ephraim's chastisement will be according to what their congregation has heard. You know, in flying to the nations, to Egypt and Assyria, they hoped and trusted in those nations and not in God. As everything has fallen apart, they're like looking for their these alliances, as they're being weakened and becoming vulnerable, they're looking to the arm of the flesh, to the Egyptians and the Assyrians. And God's like going, oh, that you would look to me. God says, they're flying away from me and from all that I have for them. Woe to them, for they have fled from me. Destruction to them because they've transgressed against me, though I redeemed them. God gave his son for us, for wretched sinners. Though I redeemed them, yet they've spoken lies against me. Ouch, ouch, ouch. The most heinous kind of sin is the sin against love. Though I redeemed them, they have spoken lies against me. It's like Judas's kiss the most painful of all. He betrayed him with a kiss. Ouch. To lie about someone who loves you, to, to lie about the one who loves you the most. This is, this is the level of Ephraim's betrayal. They didn't cry out to me with their heart, When they wailed upon their beds, they assembled together for grain and new wine. They rebelled against me, though I disciplined them and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not to the most high. They were religious. They they made up their own religion up in the north. That's what idolatry is. It's making gods in your own image. It's, it's fashioning gods according to the, your own imagination. True worship is worshiping the one who made us, 
and has revealed himself to us. They sought remedies for their self-inflicted sicknesses and wounds, but not from God most high. God says they're like a treacherous bow. So he adds here yet another image, a faulty bow, like a bow and arrow. They're like a faulty bow, it can't shoot straight. Everything that comes from his idolatrous people, God's saying is it, it's missing the mark. You know, that's what sin means in the New Testament. The word hamartia, it was an, it's an archery term. The word sin, it's an archery term. And if you miss the bullseye, the guy would cry, hamartia. He would cry, sin, you sinned, you missed the mark. And he would take your arrow out and bring back the bunch and say, keep shooting until you hit the mark. As they're worshiping 